What's up, everybody? It's Mitch. Welcome back to Just Friends. We've got another great conversation ready for you guys this week. Our guest is Miss Roya Fatalazada. I had to practice that name. Guys, we've got another teacher conversation this week. They're some of my favorites. Roya and I met when we were teaching together at Dawes High School. We were both kind of newbies at the same time, and we faced lots of the same adversity. And I think, you know, when two people go through adversity together, there's just a bond that's built. Um, and I feel that with Roya. She's a great person. She's really fun to talk to. I enjoy her point of view. And it was great to get to catch up with her. I hadn't seen her in a little while when we had this conversation, so it was nice to get to catch up. We took a little bit of time to talk shop, which was really fun. I always enjoyed talking about teaching and, and pedagogy with Roya. She's very well informed about that. And, you know, it's just good to know that there are people like her and people like Hans, who was on the show, who are in the classroom, who are really dedicated to teaching our young people because we need those people in this world. They're invaluable. Guys, I hate to delay your listening of our conversation with Miss Roya, but I have to take this quick opportunity to ask you guys, if you're listening on iTunes, please rate and review the show. If you say something really entertaining, I might even reach out to you and ask you if I can put that review on the website with a picture and everything. And speaking of the website, be sure to check it out, justfriendspod.com. If you're listening and you think somebody might enjoy hearing our conversation with Ms. Roya, you can just share that website URL with them, justfriendspod.com. I'm sure there's some people out there who would love to hear our conversation with Roya, and I think probably all of you can agree with them. So let's go ahead and get to it. I am excited and privileged to present to you my conversation with our friend, Ms. Roya Fatalazada. Close. Am I wrong? You're wrong. How is you? How do you? What is it? Fatalizada. Fatalizada. Say it again. Fatalizada. Fatalizada. Am I saying it right? Yeah. And actually, your first name's not Roya, right? It's not. But we don't want to. I don't want to talk about that. Okay, then we won't even mention it. Yeah. All you guys out there who are listening, fuck you. You don't get to know (laughs) what Roya's actual first name is. Some people know, but I know. Just call me Roya. Okay, that's fine. So we met teaching at Dawes High School. We did. You started like halfway through the same year that I started. Okay. Which had to have been crazy, crazy challenging. But because you weren't at most of like the new teacher stuff in the first semester and all that junk, I didn't really get to meet you and know you very much. But we were in the same academy, so we hung out. Yes, and we had lunch together every day, which I definitely look forward to. Definitely brought me down, back down to earth. (laughs) Yeah. After uh, the craziness. Oh, yeah. There's craziness. Day. Absolutely. Yeah. But I never learned. Were you born and raised in Louisville? I was. Yes. Um, born and raised here. Parents are from Iran. They immigrated here. Well, actually, my dad immigrated here right before the Iranian Revolution in like 78 and went to Alabama A&M and HBCU, which is kind of funny because he's not black. And he... I don't know. He experienced a lot of racism. And while he was in college, you know, the Iranian revolution was happening and he was kind of seeing his home country kind of go through that change, a very serious change through the media. And eventually he went back, met my mom, came here and here I am. So how old was he when he came here? I'm really bad at remembering ages of people in certain situations, but I think he was, I mean, the age you go to college. Right. What yeah. Was it his first time going through college or was it like a second time through American kind of thing that they make people do? I believe it was his first time. Um, 
I know he had mentioned that getting into universities in Iran are very difficult. So I think that was his first time. And yeah, that makes sense. So that would mean if that was 1978, that your dad is one year younger than my dad, which would make him 60. Does that sound right? No. No? My dad's 67. Your dad is 67? Yeah, he's old. Okay. So he was a little bit older when he came here to go to college then, I guess. And what did he study while he was there? Uh, he was an in- he studied engineering. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, civil engineering. Did he go to U of L? He didn't. He went to JCC. Though. Oh, I went to JCC. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, I have a lot of friends who got their engineering degrees at U of L, so mm. I would have nerded out a little bit on like my speed school knowledge there if I would have had the chance. So then he went back and he met your mother, and she was living in Iran. Yes. Okay, and so I imagine she had spent her entire life there up to that point. Yep, mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, she was. I think, I believe, entering college, or no, I'm sorry, entering high school when the revolution was happening. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just, I couldn't imagine still, even though she's told me so many times. Yeah. And have you been back to Iran in your lifetime and seen, like, kind of, like, post-revolution Iran? Yeah, that's all I've ever seen. I know, yeah. So, yeah, I've been every other year since I was born up until maybe 2015. I haven't been back since 2015 just because college and, mm-hmm. you know, new job and all of that. But Probably ain't cheap to get there in the first there, place. It is not cheap. No. Um, it's a journey. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's definitely changed from what I remember and what I've seen. But it's a, it's a different world. Yeah. Well, I've seen like pre-Iranian revolution pictures. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it looks like California in the 70s. Right. Much. <laughs> like, I, I mean, the pictures I've seen were taken at like Tehran University and yeah. like big cities and stuff like that. But it just looked like the 70s in like a beautiful tr- climate kind of place. Right. So what has your experience been when you've gone back to Iran in your lifetime? Because obviously I've never even been close. Yeah. I think growing up as a teenager and as a child, I I just hated it. I just felt like I had no freedom and I felt like I couldn't do anything. Like everything there is like 10 years backwards, like 10 years ago. So technology wasn't very up to date. Like I just didn't like it. I didn't feel like I had a lot to do. And I I usually go for a month. So it would be like, all right, we got to see your grandma. Then we got to see your grandpa, your aunts, your uncles, all your cousins, second cousins, third cousins, yada, yada, yada. And I just never got to enjoy it. So the last time I had went, um, I ended up going like, because I was a little older and I just saw the palaces and I saw, you know, the beaches and the nature and interacted more with people. And I was like, this is a beautiful place. Um, I feel oppressed, but, (laughs) you know, because it's the law to have to cover yourself when Mm -hmm. you go there. So um, it's a beautiful country. It's just unfortunate the way it's ran. Yeah, that can be said, I think, about a lot of countries. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. So. I imagine what you were doing then where you and your family were living in the U.S. You were going to school. Where did you go to elementary school? Great house. I don't know what that is. It's traditional school. I went to, through the traditional program. Great okay. house, Barrett, Mail. Okay, I'm familiar with Barrett Middle School mm-hmm. and I'm familiar with Mail High School. I have a buddy who went to Mail, but I think he would probably be too old for you to know him. Maybe. His name was Adam Braun. No. Oh, well. He tried. Great house. I've never even heard of it. There's, yeah. There are, I know there are a million elementary schools in Louisville though just about yeah Yeah. so did you feel different than your peers because you were going to Iran for a month every summer yeah I definitely it's funny because I remember when I was a kid coming back from Iran one summer and like I was mixing my languages so I I'm not like 100% fluent but I can speak Farsi you know hold a conversation and when I would come back when I was probably like eight or nine years old I would be talking to my friends and then like start speaking Farsi and they'd be like 
what the hell did you just say? I'm like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize I just did that. So, um, I mean, definitely different experiences growing up. I think I was like probably one of the only Middle Eastern girls through my whole high school, like whole schooling experience, like K through 12. So that was interesting because I never really related to anyone on that level. But Mm -hmm. yeah. And what, what did you guys have multiple languages being spoken at home? Yes. That's so cool. That seems like it would be such a privilege to have. It was definitely a privilege. I'm very thankful for it. Um, it's kind of funny because, like, my friends come over, we'll be mixing. Like, my dad can speak Turkish and far- my mom and dad can speak Turkish and Farsi. And so they'd, like, mix English, Turkey, Turkish, and Farsi all in, like, one conversation. And it was just, like, normal for me. That's yeah. how I grew up. <laughs> That's cool. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with Kelsey, and she talked about an experience that she had in Africa. Oh, yeah. And then I hear those stories, and I'm like, Fuck y'all. I barely got out of the <laughs> South End until I was like 22. Hey, there's still time. Uh, well, yeah. And since then, it's I've been hungry for those types of experience because mm-hmm. they are super transformative and, and they really inform your character. 100%. And how you're able to empathize with other people. Mm-hmm. So you went to Great House, then Barrett. Mm-hmm. What was your middle school experience like? Was it rough? God, isn't it all rough? I, well, it is all rough, but I feel like middle school in particular. Well, that's what I guess I was meaning. Like all of middle school experiences are rough. Ugh, like, God, yes. you're just awkward <laughs> and going through a lot of changes. And if you're not bullying people, you're getting bullied. Like, I was doing both. Oh, my gosh. How does that work? I was being bullied by some individuals and then they made me feel shame. And so I wanted to try to take that shame out on other people. So I would find people who seemed vulnerable to me and I would lash out at them. It's exactly what bullying yeah, is. It's that's hurt how it people, goes. hurting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, middle school, I had a butt cut. I looked like an owl. <laughs> I had glasses and I was chubby. Aww. Describe middle school Roya to everybody. Oh God, middle school Roya was, did not, tried to wear makeup, but you know, <laughs> did not know how to wear makeup. Probably only wore like bottom eyeliner. So I think being emo was like, popular or like a fad back then okay so what year was this oh gosh like 2007 okay that's the year i graduated high school to put oh this my in gosh <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm a youngin but yeah no like i had a myspace like uh, me too you know still one of my best friends to this day morgan jesse shout out morgan jesse shout out morgan jesse <laughs> um met her there um yeah no middle school was very interesting time with music and with social media coming of age and, you know, just typical middle school shit. What music were you listening to in 2007? If we're going to start talking about music, it's going to get interesting. Okay. So to kind of back it up, growing up, like, I just was never, like, surrounded by music. I I was, but it was Iranian music. Mm -hmm. So it was never something I, like, related to. It was like my dad played the same, like, five Iranian songs. And I was like, oh, I know this song. I don't know what they're saying, but I know it. So middle school, like, you know, iPods coming out, like I'm downloading like Justin Bieber, like Soldier Boy. Like I didn't know music. I didn't understand music. And then um, so that's like what, what Jonas Brothers, Hannah Montana. Ooh, like, I love, I I love those, those guys. Oh, my gosh. I'm, a pop I'm music so embarrassing. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't be embarrassed <laughs> of that. Pop music can be for what it is. It can be great. So, yeah, I love that. I love the Jonas Brothers, especially. <laughs> It was uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, all of that. Like, I was taking in all the pop music, I mm-hmm. guess. And then high school came around and started experimenting with some things. And my love for music grew a lot deeper. And it made more sense. 
let me ask you a question that might be hard to answer. Do you think that your music was a representation of who you were at the time? I'll, I'll let you run with that, and then I'll tell you what I actually mean by that when I ask it. You mean in high school? And in middle school. Not Definitely not middle school. I Sometimes I think back in my life, and I'm like, what was I thinking Like in that moment? You know, like what was going through my head? What were my feelings? I mean, I kind of remember, but it's like I don't think anything I did like was logical, okay. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, for me, music and I think going into high school when I started developing that love for music, like, yes, lyrics definitely, you know, resonated with me. But it was more of like the feeling it gave me to even to this day that like the beat of the music and the feeling it gives me. That's what I love the most. And I didn't really feel that till about high school probably yeah. you didn't have music at, and up to that point that you really related to i guess yeah because in my mind i was thinking okay maybe she's a middle schooler she's trying to fit in she feels like she's different because she's middle eastern in her family <laughs> and so she's listening to taylor swift because she's trying to relate to these little blonde white girls and she's oh, just like anywhere God. possible i don't i don't know I kind of just block middle school out, you know? That's me projecting, because that's exactly yeah. what I would have done. Like yeah. me, please. Oh, my Guys, gosh. Like, look what I like. Like me. I like this. That's exactly who I would have, what I would have been doing. So I'm definitely projecting there, probably. Oh, I mean, you're not too far off. I mean, <laughs> like, I feel like it was definitely, like, the divide of, like, oh, those are the cool kids. And, like, I'm just a weird kid. And, you know, that's just kind of how you feel. I mean, honestly, for a long time. That's so. how everybody feels, it turns out. Yeah. Which is... I think important for us all to realize we all kind of feel inside like awkward kids. Yeah. And, and, and it never goes away. I think, no, I do think it gets better. I think okay. you feel that way less often because yes. as a 30-year-old, I feel like my brain's been working pretty good for like five-ish <laughs> years, for about five years. Okay. Okay. That's fair. They say 25 is when you develop, yeah. fully develop your brain. Yeah. So. And so my wife's 26 so she's, but girls that, you know, they, that happens earlier, like yeah. 22. So we got about the same amount of years going, I think, honestly, yeah. of, of actual brain working good. And in that time, I've been able to learn how to feel less like an awkward kid. And it's all about your mindset and all about how you choose, like what you choose to be thinking about and learning patterns of behavior that allow you to feel more confident in certain situations and stuff like that. But 100%. Luckily, I do think. What, that you're not trapped that way, but I definitely think inside there's, and everybody, there's an awkward little scared kid. Definitely. So then in high school, first off, your your music tastes change. <clears throat> yes. You, I, I developed a love for music. Yeah. And then you also Crazy. talked about how in high school you feel, you felt like you finally experienced Iran for the first time. Yes. You think you were just becoming self-actualized? Yes. That's definitely what it was. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to put it. So I think it's cool that that happened for you in high school because it didn't for me. Mm. So what was that experience like? I mean, I still think it's still happening. Yeah. You well, know? yeah. So um, I think, you know, each year I kind of reflect on, you know, the past and I'm like, wow, I've came this far. Um, I can't really say much about, you know, it in general because I'm still going through it. So what was it like to become self-actualized? I guess I just felt more secure with myself. And more comforting about where I was in life and where I am in life. Yeah, so I guess my question is, did that make you feel different than your peers? Because not a lot of people have that experience in high school. Definitely. Because even to this day when I talk about, you know, it's it's so like, I, I don't want to say embarrassing. I just kind of like, 
always takes me back like when people talk about all these old songs and all these like from the early 2000s like 90s and like I I mean I should know that music right but I I don't and I never did because I was never exposed to it so I still trying to like to this day trying to go back and listen to the music what you know I should have been listening to when I was like maybe you know early middle school you know early going into high school and it's just funny that I'm experiencing it now and not during the time that is an interesting like I'm, i imagine an interesting experience i'm thinking about myself in high school mm-hmm. and my whole experience there was kind of like i described earlier how what do i need to do what lie do i need to tell what mask do i need to put on in order to get the people around me to like me and a lot of the time i was not succeeding at the one thing that i wanted to do which was get people to like me and that didn't really even stop after high school because I don't feel like my like self-actualization moment happened until much later when I was in college. And in fact, I was quite a bit older also. So I would feel like if you're a person in high school who is thinking about personal growth and you look around at all the other people who are just thinking about like getting laid, <laughs> you're annoyed. That's what, that's what I would think. But, well, but perhaps I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, like I said, I feel like I'm still going through it and there's been different stages. Like, right. I guess... You know, that musical phase and like, you know, finding, you know, what you're interested in kind of was maybe in high school. And then when I got to college, it kind of even expanded more and I became more educated. And that made me realize kind of like what I want to do with my life. And, you know, now I'm just like trying to navigate the (laughs) world we're in. So it's just a never ending, you know, self-actualization experience. I mean, isn't that the highest on um, Maslow's triangle? Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm still there. I mean, there's nothing beyond that. So. I don't think you ever stop being there. Yeah. I think so. you just constantly work and continue to work through that. Unless you happen to fall further down the triangle, which would suck. That would suck. <laughs> I really hope that doesn't happen. I think usually once you're at the top, you have the tools to stay there. Yes. Unless like, you know, like Yellowstone blows or the next pandemic kills 100% of, or 85% of the population Jeez. or something like that. But you actually touched on something that's a great segue. You said that you started to learn about your interests and that carried you forward. So did you pursue music or did your love for education, your passion for education start earlier than college? Um, yes, earlier than college. I remember senior year we had to write a research paper and I wrote it about education because I was like, I literally did not learn anything <laughs> throughout these four <laughs> years or around K through 12. I mean, yes, of course, I learned how to read and write and all of that, but... I didn't gain anything to carry me on to the future. I felt like I felt lost. And my uh, research paper was like, well, I mean, all these people's parents grew up in the United States and they're able to pass down this knowledge from their experience growing up in this country. Whereas like when I would ask my parents, like, how do I apply for scholarships? How do I apply to college? They're like, we don't know because they didn't ever really have to go through that, you know. You know, I can relate to that because my parents grew up in the U.S., but they really only knew how to teach me to accomplish what they had already accomplished in their mm-hmm. lives. And my, neither of my parents went to college. So, like, a right around the same time that high school ended and college started was about the same time that my, like, roadmap ended. You know, so I can kind of relate to having to forge your own path. Yeah. So after <laughs> high school, you left mail. Yes. And where did you go to college? Did you go straight to UofL? I went straight to UofL. Nice. Um, I was undecided and 
I eventually was like, I'm going to do political science because I took like a poli-sci elective class my freshman year. I was like, this is super interesting. And I never learned anything about like that before. And then I was like, after like half a year, I was like, what am I going to do with this? I was like, I'm not going to law school. That is not me. So then I was like, I kind of realized, wow, like really my passion is teaching people to find, you know, make their own, you know, realizations. And I could teach them, you know, political science and history for them to understand their world better. But it was all a reflection of my own experience that led me to choose education. Because you wish that you'd had somebody in your life like yourself who could give <laughs> you those answers. Yes. That I relate to that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would say probably most educators have a story like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what, so at U of L, what did you end up getting your degree in? So poli-sci ended up being my minor. Ah. Um, yes. And then I got a degree in middle secondary education, focused social studies. That's probably like similar, the same degree that a lot of people that we worked with had, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. Hans probably had the same thing except the English, English version of yep. that. Because mm-hmm. my like path to the classroom was not the same. I saw I remember. What was it like being a young teacher <laughs> teaching in a classroom at Doss High School? <laughs> Oh, gosh, it was eye-opening. That was the main one. Um, so I did actually student teach at Mail. So okay, that cool. was very interesting. Student teaching where I went to high school. And uh, I just knew from what other people had told me, and I probably wouldn't end up at a school like that. I would probably end up at a school like DOS. Mm-hmm. And I love DOS, and I'm, you know, I'm still there, and I'm glad I'm there. It was just very eye-opening to the experiences of, you know, to what I never saw growing up. And it's made me love education more and value it more and made me realize how messed up of a system we do have. So um, if anything, teaching at DOS has made me confirm, you know, this is what I should be doing. That's that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I relate to that in the sense that my experience at DOS like really helped me empathize with people who were not as privileged as me. And I definitely could see myself going back to public ed someday when I felt like I had more to give. But, I mean, like, how old are you? Honestly, are you 24? 24? Yeah. When I was 24, if you would have put me in a room with those kids, <laughs> I would have screamed at them. I would have, I would not have been able to maintain, like, a, a, a level of composure that is necessary. It's hard. <laughs> it's real hard sometimes. I don't think people realize what it looks like, what it really, really looks like, and what it feels like to be a teacher. Yeah. And they I, think they know. Yeah. Because they, they think, well, I'm a parent. I'm with my kid all the time. But what we understand and what I understand as a person who studied sociology is the impact that a group can have on young kids, the impact that their that peers have on young people and, and the way that they um, express themselves and, 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 and the mask that they choose to wear. But I think that that disconnection from what it actually looks like to be in one of those classrooms is the reason why public ed is so undervalued. Yeah. And also is part of the reason why it's doing such a doo-doo job. <laughs> doo-doo job. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's for, but for me, like, it's also very reminiscent of what we're seeing in a lot of things that are going on right now. It's, it's the same thing in policing. It's the same thing in healthcare. We just don't, for some reason, we as a culture have chosen not to value the industries that serve us because 
they don't make a profit. Yeah. For some reason, markets are not good at seeing the value of public service. And like we've really, really been disturbed by that fact because we have not great schools and we have not great cops and not great police systems and we have a lot of a lot of really sick people capitalism yeah capitalism it doesn't do a good job of of deciding how much value we should place on public services that's one of the big things that capitalism does a really crappy job yeah i imagine if we're going to go in like the direction of talking about you know kind of like what the world looks like now oh god cuz it's really difficult to do it's a lot actually no i don't want to do that yet so let's backtrack we'll get to that in just a second but so when did you start DJing? Was that in college or was that before college? That was in college. Um, it was like kind of towards the end of college. And, you know, I was kind of always the friend that I was always playing the music at parties. I was always on the aux cord. Yeah. Building the playlists yeah, and stuff like that. You got that the, was me. Right. And then I saw an ad on Facebook for a DJ contest. And I was like, I don't know what went through <laughs> my mind, but I was like, I'm going to do that. Like, I was like, I'm going to enter this contest. I had no equipment, <laughs> no idea what I was doing. It was kind of a joke, like, in the moment. You know, I was like, I'll figure it out. And then it was approaching, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I was like, I can't, like, I mean, I could just not show up. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to figure it out. And I taught myself how to DJ. I borrowed um, my friend's dad's equipment, who was a DJ, and just watched a bunch of YouTube videos and it was difficult, and I'm still learning to this day because it's a lot and a lot of practice. But, you know, I won that contest, which was really cool. Um, <laughs> but it was funny because I know it wasn't based on talent. It was based on, you know, crowd response. And I was the only female DJ there, and I brought a bunch of my friends. So, hey, you know, I'll take it. Uh, so you hacked the system. I hacked the system. No, no shame in that game. No, I mean, that's life. Yeah. So um, some of the DJs were, uh, I think, pretty upset. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if it wasn't for that experience, I wouldn't have continued to, you know, do it. Maybe. I don't know. I mean. So what did you think? Did you think you were going to be able to, like, do it on your phone? When you were going into it. Honestly, when I signed up, I was like, I'm just going to plug in my phone and just, you know, <laughs> knock the socks out of everybody. But no, uh, that's not. <laughs> As the date was approaching, I was like, oh, crap. Like, I got to actually DJ. Mm -hmm. I've got so. some buddies. I've got some buddies who've done like wedding DJing mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I heard and that's the worst. I can see why it would be the worst. Good money, though. But I'll say they were good at it. Mm. They had personalities. Okay. And they would do proms and stuff like that also. Yeah. And so I kind of know, and also just with my experience with audio engineering, I know what goes into like a standard DJ setup. And it's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's m multiple different types of software, multiple different types of hardware, lots of cables. Lots of cables. You're very ambitious. It was an extremely ambitious thing. What did it feel like? What did it feel like to win? Like, were you, I mean, because I'm sure you weren't expecting to win, right? I was not expecting to win. <laughs> um, it was more of just something to put myself out there. And honestly, like, I just don't know what was going through my head. Like, I was just kind of like, I'm just going to do this. I don't know. I guess I was bored. <laughs> and, you know, I'm so thankful that I put myself out there. And that experience in itself just made me realize you really can do anything you set your mind to. You just got to be determined. And 
obviously you have to have the resources and, you know, be in the position to be able to do something like that. But, you know, I was very grateful and thankful that I was and that I did because I'm, I'm who I am now. That's an awesome mm. perspective to have because you kind of nailed it on the head. Like a lot of things had to come together for you to have that accomplishment. But yes. It's rad that you were able to pull that off. Yeah. And I saw that reflected in the way that you taught also. Yeah. Specifically in the sense that you were always at work. Oh my all God. the time. I know. And so I was like, she's really like diving in and like in, and really investing in this head on. Literally the janitors would be like, you're still here. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I mean, I just put my all into anything I really care about. And, you know, I think I'm, you know, over the years I'm trying to learn when to, you know, walk away and step away. But um, that's who I am. That's what I do. That's awesome. And I bet that goes a long way. That perspective, just that mindset, really informs the experience that you have as a person. Definitely. Because people who are negative, uh, they end up quitting, like me. So when you become passionate about teaching, as one does, mm -hmm. one of the things you learn very early on is that you're never going to not have the opportunity to not be a student either. You're going to be going to school for like pretty much the rest of your life. Yeah, that's me. So, <laughs> so you finished with your uh, secondary education degree yep. from U of L, and then I imagine you immediately started pursuing a graduate degree. Yeah. So my first year teaching, my first semester, I took full time graduate courses, and um, that was so hard. But you know, I did it, and I'll be graduating in December. Nice. What's your degree in? Uh, teacher leadership with a focus in instructional technology. Mm. Fancy, right? That's kind of like what Hans's is, except his is teacher leadership with a focus on inclusion and diversity. Yes. And I was thinking about going that route. Um, I'm really glad I did the instructional technology. Like, look at where we are right now. It was so ironic and crazy. That makes perfect sense to be the direction you would want to go. You know? Yeah. Because um, I think this, like, non-traditional learning that we hear, non-traditional instruction that we hear about, I was saying it before because it just makes sense to me, but it seems like the direction that we're going to end up going in. It has to be. Yeah. Has to be. Because, see, this is what I think. When I think about the future of education, I see two trajectories. I see an increase in the number of these just one-off teachers starting their little, their own little private schools where they mm -hmm. teach like eight kids. You, we've seen that happening. But that's only going to serve parents who can afford to pay right. $200 a week for their kids' education. What happens to those parents who can't? And as I see the challenges that come from going to a classroom, the trauma that kids are subjected to from going into a classroom, and then just the danger as schools get more and more dangerous, I feel like COVID has been a glimpse into the future. It really has. For a lot of things. Yes. And I think it also has been for education. Yeah. So what has your experience been like with NTI? It's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because we all were just kind of thrown into it. Um, no one really knew what to do, what direction to be in. I think a lot of the students were, you know, in that same route. So first last semester, the first time doing it, it was just kind of disappointing because not really a lot of participation and you got to think, you know, that kind of goes back to the, you know, these kids are in the environments where they were trying to escape from when they came to school and that's where they're trying to learn. And unfortunately, a lot of them, I don't believe have, you know, the resources and the structures and supports to be able to do that. And school was, you know, that for them. Mm -hmm. Pretty low participation. 
But it, it made me realize that, you know, for some people, that's the best thing for them. Like, you know, those kids that I would have to tell to sit in their seat or stop talking and, you know, all of that. This was a perfect way for them to learn. You learn at your own pace. You learn at your own time. And you do it when you got to do it and you get it done. For some kids, it, it didn't work. And they really needed that teacher to be by their side and help guide them and prompt them. And so my hopes is that one day it was it'll be kind of, you know, kind of like you had mentioned before, we've talked about this a lot, like the Apollo model where students get to really just go after and perform and learn in the just the way that works for them mm -hmm. and not have to sit at a desk and listen to a teacher lecture. Unless they choose to, unless that's exactly. what they choose to do. Yeah. Exactly. Some kids prefer that. Yeah. So it's just hard when, you know, you got 32 students in your class, all who learn different, all who come from different backgrounds, have different traumas, different triggers, different capacities when it comes to reading and writing and the ability to speak English. All of it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I'm curious, did you see some students who would have struggled with in-person classroom experience excel? I wouldn't say excel, but I would say they did better than I thought they would. Better than, they, yes. than you expected. Perhaps yes. better than you would have expected even in the classroom. Exactly, setting. yes. That's awesome. So that was cool. But um, I would say for the majority, I think it was maybe because of the structure of how it was how it was placed. Um, no accountability, do. basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so apparently this semester, um, that's going to change. Let's We'll see. That uh, would be ideal. I mean, you cannot expect a kid to take on something challenging that's going to cause them some discomfort yeah. unless they have to do it. Yeah. And, and I mean, or unless they want to do it, mm -hmm. but let's face it <laughs> when you've got like call of duty and porn and social media, like a you're, 15 year old kid probably has other things they want to be doing. You're a kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could think of all the things I wanted to do when I was a kid. And if I had that freedom to be able to, you know, make my own choices. Yeah. My friends are like, no, you're going to school. Yeah. Like, so that's just crazy to think, you know, you're not really old enough or have the mental capacity to be able to make the right decisions for you. Um, so sometimes you really need that model, role model and teacher and guidance to go the right path. <laughs> and the structure, because yes. I imagine a lot of those kids were home alone. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And the routine, especially. I mean, I, I still, three. yep, I still struggle with my sleeping schedule. Yeah. So I can imagine, you know, being a high school kid trying to navigate it. I mean, let's forget about high school. Think about elementary school kids. They're learning to read and write over a video call. That is where the responsibility of the parent is going to become so clear. Because as teachers, we already realize that, like, if you're not a parent who's actively encouraging your child to value education and helping them and investing in them, your child's going to struggle probably, or at least not going to reach their ultimate potential. We see that now, but a lot of people take that perspective of teachers are supposed to teach our kids. I don't have time to teach our kids. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that perspective. Shit's rough. Stuff's hard out there, yeah. especially during COVID. Um, but I think in those younger grades, like, that is going to become very clear, like the impact of family and like the ownership that parents take in their kids' education. But then at the same time, I totally understand that there are people who just would love to do that. But yeah. they're like, when, when, like, when do you want me to do that, man? It's so, it's so challenging. So, so what has your experience in COVID been like? Like, how have you dealt with it personally? 
it's been tough. Yeah, it's tough, um, isn't it? I'm a huge extrovert. So, you know, being confined to my home is not something I like to do anyway. So it's been tough. I've been trying to develop new routines and, you know, try to get into new things. But I think, you know, I've seen a lot of it on social media. And like, there's so much pressure, I feel like, to also be like, okay, well, when this is over, like, you need to have a new skill or develop a new, like, <laughs> business. And it's because, you know, there's all this time. And for some people, you know, unfortunately, there there might not be and they might, you know, not have that. And I have. I've had a lot of time. And I think a lot of it has been self-reflection, more self-actualization, more growth. But yeah, I mean, I've been in school, so that has occupied my time. But it's been a lot of loneliness. Yeah. A lot of just thinking. Yeah. And that, you know, it's been, a, it's taken a toll on my mental health for sure. And you've had a lot. You had a, you're lucky that you had a purpose, a goal, trying to, you know, work on your degree. Yeah. But the worst part about it, I think, is having all that extra time to think. And then what do you what do you have to think about? Yeah. You have to think about COVID's running rampant. We have, like, demonstrations taking place, some of which are creating a less than stable environment that might some might even describe as being unsafe. So you got to worry about that. And then... I mean, let's not talk politics, but goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it all kind of comes down to that. Even when you go back to education and why everything is the way it is. I mean, it all comes down to politics. Yeah. And I would always question, like, why are schools so bad? Why are they teaching these kids these useless skills and information that they'll never use in their life? All goes down to politics. And that's unfortunate. And when I think about you as a teacher, I think about a progressive style of teaching because I know you had a, the privilege of working with a really awesome like mentor teacher also. Yes. Has that kind of continued in NTI? Are you still trying to do things that are like out of the box or like is it just so much harder to do because people aren't there? It's definitely very much harder to do um, but I'm still you know striving for that and still hoping but unfortunately my mindset even though I, you know, ha about to have this a master's degree in instructional technology, my mindset always goes back to in the classroom because I'm such a hands-on, like, you know, ex extroverted person. I love to see people and be around people. So kind of doing it through a screen is hard. You know, I'm I'm kind of excited for where we're going. I think I mentioned this before, but, you know, I'm a U.S. history teacher. So um, we have kind of reorganized the way we're teaching and we're teaching instead of chronologically through themes. Mm. So themes in history, themes in like just life. So uh, last semester um, before COVID, we did democracy last year. We taught the theme of democracy. And it took a good four or five months to get through that theme because we talked about it through African-Americans and women and LGBTQ plus uh, Native Americans and a lot of minority groups and how they fought for, you know, freedom, fairness, and equality. And then we see the climate that we're in right now. And it's just so like full circle. of Wow. Like this is why we should be teaching it this way. It's so relevant. And we still taught history. It just wasn't the normal way you taught it. So I'm excited for all the ideas that have been kind of brewing um, these past few months. And I think we're going to maybe start out teaching the first theme of mental health. So that'll be awesome. Yeah. Because that's going to be super relevant. Super relevant. Because coming out of COVID, I mean, I imagine, dude, there was a ton of depressed kids. Anyway. Exactly. There's going to be so many more kids oh who just been gosh. cooped up. Ugh. 
it's hard not to get discouraged. I guess you do just have to stay focused on moving forward. But I can definitely understand why it would be super hard to teach through a screen because so much of teaching, they pound this into you when you're in education school. It's all about building relationships. Mm -hmm. And humans in general, we, we do better in groups. We do better when we're interacting with each other. Like I've talked to a lot of introverts who are still saying, but man, I miss people so much. Mm -hmm. So just the trauma that these kids are experiencing. I mean, I don't have kids, but my, a lot of my friends have kids, like young kids. And that's, that's a really interesting, like, how is not having any young kids to socialize with for the first, like, year and a half of your life? Or maybe from, like, four to and five and a half. Like, like prime time. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what's that going to do to this generation of young people? I mean, we're, I feel like we're just going to feel the effects for majority of our lives of this time. Yeah, it's, it's weird, It's crazy. It? Yeah, we're living in a, a time that will be taught. What are the history books going to say about this time? And like, obviously, like you look back, I listen to this podcast called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm, and he love him. Yeah, he's awesome. But the whole theme of the podcast is let's go back now from 2020 and look at some of the decisions that we made or some of the actions that took place that uh, now we can look back, you know, like hindsight is 2020 and say that was a mistake and that led to this. I wonder often what is going to be the world that we see post-COVID and also how are we going to respond to the outcries of people who are being oppressed and who are demanding that we address the injustices that have been taking place pretty much since the beginning of the founding of this country. Yeah. What is that? As a person who's quite a bit younger than me, what is what does it look like to you? Like, well, what it, what do you think will actually happen? See, that's that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think I can answer that because yeah. you know no one knows. But if we took it a you know a step backwards and say what needs to happen, yeah, what needs to happen, and I hate to bring up education again, but mm -hmm. a transformation of the system. I think a lot of the biggest reason why a lot of people are instilled in the views that they have that are so old school and just awful <laughs> is because of the education they have received. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what we're teaching in JCPS versus what they're learning in, you know, rural Kentucky as of what happened through history and what their teachers are like and what they're ex uh, experiencing, probably not the same, not even close. And I think you know, it's our jobs as educators to find those places and to spread the education and the truth so that everyone knows. And so we don't become more polarized and divided because I think not only social media, you know, attributes to that, but also, you know, your upbringing and a majority of your upbringing is in the education system. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's such a big thing to say because, I mean, that involves thousands and thousands of teachers, um, individuals who may or may not be qualified to be doing the job. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, you've worked in the public school system, so have I. Sometimes you're like, whoa, like, what is that person doing here? Uh, sometimes I think the same of myself. Yeah. Like, Well, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I totally understand. I, I think, you know, what you're talking about there is this, this crazy thing that has happened in this country, I guess, is 
there's been like a hoarding of opportunity in certain zip codes. And that manifests itself in a lot of ways and including much, much better education being available to some kids. Because I have yeah. a buddy, Tim, who was on the podcast and he talked about his experience going to school in D.C. where like a lot of the politicians kids were probably going and stuff like that. And he was like, it was like light years ahead of what I was experiencing in advanced classes in Kentucky. Mm. So, I mean, there we, we have hoarded opportunity in certain places yeah. where wealthy people stay. I mean, it's clear. Um, I don't know what to do about it. I don't even know if the systems that have led to that happening are bad. I just know that that result is not ideal. But I'm encouraged by your point of view because once you lose that hope, I don't know. Why are you even doing it then? Without educators, no other job would be possible. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, definitely the systems that are put in place, I think, do affect why some people are so disadvantaged oh of course so um it's just a multitude of things i don't think it's one right answer but i do think education can be one of the major keys in trying to help change the future generation to become better leaders and become you know pr- practice more equitable living that's exactly the answer i would want to hear from any teacher and it was also a very unfair question to ask you, so I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. What, what should we do? What, magic <laughs> wand. Well, how would you fix everything? That's not. I'm definitely not qualified to make that call, so it's unfair of me I'm to ask either. you. I'm not Hey, guys. We'll get back to Just Friends in just a second. But first, I want to take this quick opportunity to talk to you guys about our friend, the handsome and talented Mr. Seth Jones. Seth is a local artist. The first thing of his that I saw was his comic strip, Ragamuffins, which I immediately loved. And then a few years later, I had the privilege of going to one of his art shows at Old 502 Winery for his Angels and Souls series. Massive angels. I wish I could describe them to you, but honestly, you should just check out his Facebook page or his Instagram page. Seth A. Jones on Instagram, all lowercase. And then his Facebook is actually a little tough. It's capital S period space capital A period, space, Jones. And you'll also get to check out his newest fine art series, Animalia. Now, when I first saw the orangutan piece, I was blown away by it. And then the elephant piece, crazy. And right now, Seth has a Kickstarter going. So if what you see on his Instagram page and on his Facebook page speaks to you, you can actually purchase some of these pieces of art. One of you guys out there listening definitely needs a painting for like your hallway or like maybe your master bedroom maybe you got like a cabin and like you just really need a big picture of a bison on the side of a log just like hanging somewhere in this cabin i'm telling you guys check out the kickstarter there's something on there that you need capital s period space capital a period space jones on facebook and Seth A. Jones, all lowercase on Instagram. Check that stuff out. If you're already there, you definitely should be able to see links directly to the Kickstarter, so look around. There's an awesome giraffe print on there that I'm about to buy like right now because I think there's only one left. It's beautiful, it's affordable, and you can support an awesome dude and a contributing member to the Just Friends community. So make sure you check out his Facebook page, make sure you check out that Instagram page, and show the boy some love. All right, guys, that's that. Let's get back to the show.
I mean, it's I work. I, Sarah and I just bought we just bought a bunch of freeze dried food to just like keep in the house because it's like what happens? Because I was terrified at the very beginnings of COVID. I was like, I don't think it's gonna happen, but if grocery stores go away, I'm gonna starve, and that's terrifying. And then you got to think about what about people who don't have nearly as much as I have? It's wild. So as you're moving into this school year, what's that look like for you? You got a Bitmoji classroom? Just start working on that, actually. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Bitmoji classroom. No, dude, I love it. I think they're awesome. I saw Karen Lindell's and it looks great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Is it free? It is free. It better be free. Right, you know? No, it's free. Cool. It's cool. What, what else are you guys doing? You said you're starting a unit with mental health. Yes. So you guys, I'm assuming you've already started building that out. Trying to. Um, I kind of had the idea just the other day. My friend actually helped me come up with that. But shout out Nikki King. Shout out Nikki King. <laughs> um, just, you know, I mean, thematic teaching is just, te- it, I mean, at least in U.S. history, is teaching history through themes because, you know, history repeats itself and there's definitely core ideas that tie it all together. And so talking about mental health and how that has affected people's upbringings and how that, uh, you know, what is the mental state of mental health of children in the future and after this and what decisions about mental health have led us to living like this in our society. So just discovering and uncovering historical events and how they've led us to where we are um, through different themes. That's really, that's, that's how I think. When I think about history, that's how I think. That's about how it. I think too. Yeah. Not like this happened and then this happened. And, and I suck then, with uh, dates too. Oh yeah. They're not important. They're really not. Important. not. Um, as long as you kind of have some sort of an idea of what happened first and then next, yes. um, that's all that matters. What lessons were learned and in which order? Yes. So are you still working with Beth? I am. That's gotta be rad. I love Beth Marshall. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Beth Marshall. Uh, so are you guys building that unit together? Yes. With uh, Denise Morrison, we're all trying to... I love, I love Denise. Yes. And then guess what's the next unit? What's that? Pandemics and disasters. Ooh, th- so those are both so good. So you let, know? Can I give you some ideas? Oh, please. Okay. So one thing when it comes to mental health. Yes. How has the mental health of our leadership, both mm. now and in the past, impacted the decisions they make and inform the policies that they uh, further in in their time as leaders. Yeah, so that's for example, deep. Hitler. Yeah. That motherfucker was on all kinds of drugs. <laughs> he was definitely not mentally healthy. No, and what did it couldn't lead be. To? But I mean, you could also talk about like Winston Churchill. Yeah. Like the juxtaposition of that. Don't think he was a super healthy person either. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, especially with a lot of our um, leaders throughout history being white men and kind of the idea of what, you know, who they should be and how they should act. I mean, that can't be healthy for anybody. I don't think a person who can think I should be in charge of everything <laughs> is a fully stable person. Can't be. I don't think you can be because I think you have to be able to look at yourself and realize I probably shouldn't be in charge of everything. <laughs> but those guys can't <laughs> for yeah. some reason. And then also, I mean, pandemics and disasters. Yeah. That would be an awesome trajectory to take just if you could find a positive way (laughs) like look how we have been able to rise up and continue to move forward positively even through pandemics and disasters Mm -hmm. 
that's the hardest part. Um, I think um, Beth and I were trying to avoid that last semester, but it's just so hard when history is so sad. Yeah. And we were like, wow, like we're in the middle of COVID, you know, in the de- the depth of it. And we're teaching them all this horrible stuff that's happened to all these great people. And we were like, we got to be positive, but it, we couldn't. It was just, you know, the fact of the matter that that's just how it happened. And I think like you did say, the pos- the positive aspect of it is that we have overcome that mm-hmm. and we have learned from that. Well, we're trying to yeah. and um, moving forward. And in that way, you're kind of, you can also make parallels between personal growth because that's what you do. Yes. You have adversity, you respond to that adversity either positively and then there, and then that's also more negatively and then there are consequences. And then do you feel privileged to be able to teach history as opposed to like some of the other potential subjects that you could have been teaching? 100%. I don't think I could have taught anything else. Um, I was debating between English and history, but I think it is really my purpose to teach that, especially as a Middle Eastern woman. Honestly, even growing up, like history has always been something that I've been interested in, but I just hate the way it was taught to me. I was just like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem real. And, you know, I think my college experiences definitely um, projected me to more self-actualization in that you know, I need to teach this the right way Mm -hmm. and help spread that to other people. So are you familiar with Yuval Noah Harari? No, I'm not. He's an Israeli historian. Okay. And he's a gay man, but that's just another interesting fact about him. Cool. But he is probably currently my, one of my favorite intellectual minds. And he's written three books that I've read that I'm going to encourage you to read. The first one is called Sapiens. You've told me about this. Yes, okay. I was like, he sounds familiar and and because this, I heard him from you. And honestly, if you, <laughs> and honestly, if you only read Sapiens, you that'd be awesome. You, That's it. You'd That's really all appreciate I need. It. Okay, I've cool. read his other two books too. The second one is called Homo Deus or Homo Deus, and it gets kind of sad. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, he starts to make predictions about the future. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, by all means, um, it was written pre-COVID, so he definitely wasn't taking that into consideration, but. It's still, a ch- it's, it will challenge your worldview hmm. significantly. It did me. I like a challenge. And then, uh, I just think you'll appreciate him. I mean, he's Israeli, so you guys are Middle Easterners, so you have that in common. Um, and he's a historian, and he's brilliant. But I think you would appreciate those books. And anybody out there who's listening, y'all should read Sapiens. I think it would enlighten a lot of you. If you can get through it, because it's fucking dense, too. Oh you know how smart people mm-hmm. talk? Yeah. They use big-ass words. They talk all fast. I'm reading a book like that now. It's tough to get through. Don't you? I love reading books like that. Mm-hmm. But I always feel like I have to like take a like a week. Yeah, you can't just keep reading it. You got to take a break. Yeah. Well, even <laughs> when, when I finish, I feel like I can't take on anything else. <laughs> I need to absorb. Uh, until and I reflect. fully like process yes, all of this. All of it. Especially reading his stuff. Like I felt like my, 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 my worldview changed. So much and through like the that's way that's so he, cool. It is cool. That's that's why you read those types of books because they, like you're saying, they're challenging. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's fun. I don't know if you're really enjoying the process. Yeah, it's tough, but you know, at the end of the day, you just want to become more enlightened and aware and understanding. I mean, I think that's something everyone needs, any quality anyone needs to possess is wanting to become more informed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what? So what are you reading right now? Um, man, I've been trying to get through it for 
the whole time I've been in go, uh, we've been in quarantine, but um, it's called The Death and Life of the American uh, School System by Diane Ravage, I think. It's just so heavy with information and text, but kind of takes you through the history of, you know, how did our education system become the way it is now? And it's because of policies set mm-hmm. by politicians. So are you actually are. reading it? Yeah. You're actually reading I'm it. I'm reading it, um, but I have to take breaks because it's just so full of statistics and information and uh, it's just a lot. It's not a breeze. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if my brain has changed. I haven't tried to actually read a book in years. So what does that mean? It means I, I consume almost all of the media that I consume with my ears. Almost, so you listen to books? I listen to books, Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, okay. But also I listen to podcasts. I don't even watch TV really anymore. Hmm. I have found that I'm busy and I need my eyes and also my hands. Yeah. And so like. Podcasts are nice for that. Yeah. And I'm sure audiobooks and are audiobooks too. Audiobooks are the best. And then when I'm in the middle of tasks that don't require my brain, like cutting the grass, where literally all I'm doing is like walking in a line and then turning around and walking the other way, <laughs> I can really like try to digest those more difficult concepts um, or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other day, the other day I, was, I, I, I felt so stupid. I shared a podcast with my father-in-law without even listening to it. And it was by uh, this phys- physicist whom I like to listen to. And often he'll have these really profound conversations with people, but usually he's not talking shop. And so there was an interesting podcast that came out that he, where he was going to talk about physics. And I know my father-in-law is interested in physics, so I shared that podcast with him before I listened to it. Oh, God, what was it about? And then I went back and listened to it, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck he's even saying. He's just using all these terms and all these physics words, talking about, like, prions and, f- like, fermions. And I, just, oh, no. I listened to the first seven minutes. I was like, I'm a, a monkey. <laughs> my brain don't work good. And this guy's something different than me completely. And I just wasted probably like 45 minutes of my father-in-law's time by sending this to him. <laughs> you know, we've, got, we've come really far from like talking about DJing, but I think we got to the place we are now by talking about how you won a DJing contest. <laughs> yeah. Did you take that, that focus that allowed you to win uh, that contest in the first place and just like keep running with it exactly it's exactly what i I ran with it (laughs) and um i'm glad i did it has opened my eyes to a lot of different things um just to briefly talk about my experiences since then i had dj'd a lot of places where i was just taken advantage of because i'm a woman um Mm. meaning they wouldn't really respect me and pay me what I was deserved. Wow. Don't be brief. Go into detail. You want me to? Yeah. I don't know if I'm trying to call people out. You don't have to do that. You can tell a specific story, but maybe not call anybody out. Okay. So I was DJing at this well-known bar that's actually not open anymore um, in St. Matthews. (laughs) And uh, I thought it was going to be a great opportunity for me. I liked going out there. And I guess I was kind of blindsided by the opportunity that I didn't realize, I guess, what that place stood for and what they valued. And I would I I love rap and hip hop music. That's kind of what got me into music in general, just the sound and the feeling that it gave me. And that's majority of what I would play. And a lot of people aren't really used to 
someone who looks like me playing music like that. And I would play that music, you know, it was, I think, one of my first gigs. And a lot of people were like really vibing with it. They really liked it. And then I had one of the workers come up to me and be like, hey, the owner's here. He doesn't like that music. And I'm like, okay, um, I'll switch it up, I guess. So I switched it up. This is my first time DJing there. And then I had people, you know, patrons of the bar come up to me like, yo, why'd you switch the music? Like, we, were, we really liked what you were playing. I was like, you can go ask the owner. He's right over there. <laughs> and then we asked him and he was saying, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. So just mixed signals, mixed vibes. Um, the manager ended up telling me he didn't respect me. I DJed there for a while and he said he didn't respect me, didn't have to respect me. I wasn't really getting paid I think what I should have gotten paid but it was you know honestly it was just starting out DJ so it wasn't really about the money for me it was about the happiness it would bring me and growing from my experiences and unfortunately that was a really hard time for me because I was and that that wasn't the only experience things like that happened on multiple occasions where I was getting stiffed and I was yeah and I was just not you know respected and valued for who I was and you know like I said I'm I've been doing this for like three years now maybe two and a half three years and I mean I'm still new I'm still learning and I don't make it a priority because my priority is my education and like continuing school and teaching and you know DJing is kind of like a hobby on the side but it's definitely opened up how you know discriminated women are even though I knew that before from my other experiences but just DJing, like usually when you think of DJ, you think of a male, usually. So being a woman in that space definitely was intimidating at times, but I've learned a lot and experienced a lot and unfortunately wasn't treated very well. Yeah, that is unfortunate. So you think that like the the treatment that you experienced from, I guess, people who were hiring you to DJ mm-hmm. was informed by the fact that you're a woman and they were treating you badly because you're a female? Yes, but I think I was also selected and hired because I was a female, because I was different. And that would bring, I guess, the attention of other people. Right. Um, but unfortunately, that was, you know, used against me in the mm-hmm. end. That is a huge bummer. Yeah. But I think, like in all things, you use that as a learning opportunity. 100%. And what did that lead to? Well, I ended up seeking out this organization um, that I had heard about called Spencer's Union of Louisville, and it's a DJ collective of femme DJs. So they have been so helpful in my journey of becoming a DJ. They stand for social justice issues and women and femme empowerment. So I'm very thankful for that organization that I'm still a part of, and I hope it continues to grow. That's a phenomenal name. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Union. Right. It, it's just very, it tells a great story. Yeah. Shout out uh, Sarah Salmon, so, founder, so, and Kim Cerise. Absolutely. So what are some of the things uh, that you've done with them? Like, and, and how can people find out more about the Spencer's Union? Um, we do have an Instagram page, Spencer's Union of Louisville. Right now we're kind of on a hiatus um, with everything going on. Yeah. Um, still trying to come back. We've done a femme fair at uh, Copper and Kings in Butchertown last fall, and it was a great turnout. It was one of my first events that I kind of like ran um, on my own, and it was amazing experience. Just a lot of fem- local femme uh, vendors, musicians, artists, and it was just kind of like a festival for that. So 
That was super cool. We were looking to have one this year, but I think it's going to just get pushed to next year. But yeah, they do a lot of the members do a lot of really cool things. And um, if you want to learn more, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and all that. That is awesome. I need to introduce you to my friend, Daryl Young. Okay. He actually did a podcast. So if you want to check him out, you can listen to it. I think I it. saw that when I was scrolling. Yeah. Uh, so he works for the Muhammad Ali Center. Cool. And he teaches classes on community organizing. Love. So I'm sure that he would be able to give you some tips and tricks to how to more effectively like like plan those types of festivals, get people engaged and get people involved. Definitely. And uh, I mean, if you're into social justice, that's like right up his vibe. I definitely am. Cool. So many people have told me that COVID has just totally crushed a lot. I mean, like the gig economy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so many people work in like this gig economy where they're just doing like odd jobs and like side gigs and stuff yeah. like that. And that's just done. For now. For now. Hopefully. So have you guys had any like plans for how you might capitalize on the internet in order to like take advantage of like, do you do any like DJ shows online and stuff like that? We've been trying to slowly come back. Um, I think we were just on the hiatus for everyone's personal, you know, time and, you know, mental health and, you know, just need to take that time to be mindful and, you know, focus on ourselves. So we actually met um, last week virtually. And we're kind of starting to plot of like how we wanted to come back and how we wanted to support, you know, our allies and um, all the unfortunate situations going on in our own city. So um, still in the works and uh, stay tuned. Yeah. You know, that's actually an interesting thing that we haven't talked about yet that we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is mindfulness, um, being aware and taking care of your mental health. Yep. And I think a lot of people hear that a lot. They hear mindfulness, but they don't really know what that means. But I think you in particular are a great person to talk about that because you pretty much spearheaded the creation of this mindfulness fair that took place mm-hmm. at DOS last year, which was freaking awesome. I cried of happiness and I've never done that in my life. What was the process of putting that together like? I mean, it wasn't, the outcome was phenomenal. It was amazing. Yeah. And I wish, I really wish more schools would do it. I wish it was a part of the curriculum, really. I wish it was embedded into, you know, how kids learned. But it was amazing. Just, I'll never forget that experience. Putting that together was not mindful. (laughs) It was definitely very stressful. Um, But, you know, having all these great people come together who value, um, you know, taking care of yourself and your mental health was just so great in all these different avenues. Like we had Allie from, uh, DJ Allie from Spencer's there teaching kids mindful drumming and, you know, just how music can be an outlet for, you know, your emotions. And we had, uh, I used to box at TKO actually, and we had them bring out a punching bag, which was so great. That was like one of the highlights of that day for, you know, kids to realize that, you know, there's other ways to take out your emotions. You don't have to take it out on each other. Um, So that was amazing. We had um, puppies, which Mm. is great. Oh, that was so good. A lot of mindful art. And we had a lot of the students themselves, you know, come up with kind of booths and ideas to present at that fair. So overall, it was amazing. And I am really looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do with this with the next one hopefully it can happen sooner rather than later Mm -hmm. i I wonder for people who are listening to this uh, 
what they what they think of when they hear mindfulness. So yeah. I'm curious, like, what what does mindfulness mean to you? The thing I heard in college that maybe you understand mindfulness is metacognition, thinking about thinking. So once you realize that <laughs> and realize you really need to think about, you know, what's going on in in yourself, inside yourself, then, you know, I think you can take steps further to better yourself. I think you, you know, I think like everyone says, the first step is realizing you have a problem or realizing there's something wrong and then you can work from there. But I think it's just so important to express your emotions and express yourself and talk to people about your emotions. And I hate that society has taught us that we have to hold that all in. That description of mindfulness is almost a perfect way of saying what my interpretation of mindfulness yeah? is. What's that? Which is like thinking about thinking, mm-hmm. being aware, noticing that you're being distracted. That's the thing. Like you, you said, you have to admit that you have a problem. Yeah. The problem that you're admitting to when you admit that you're not being mindful is that you're admitting that you've allowed yourself to become distracted. Yeah. What's the best possible thing you could be thinking about right now to either change your experience or change your mood, re- the realization that you have the control over your mood yeah. and your experience. Just get to a better place. Right. And that's where mindfulness kind of goes into the whole, like being conscious of your emotions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that that's something that gets, that's I think intertwined because it goes hand in hand with mindfulness. But in my mind, what it truly is, is just that realization that how often you're just distracted. Yeah. And to be able to pull yourself out of that and to just, I'm only going to think about and participate in things that are going to move me forward in a positive direction. And I can only really focus like that for about 30, 45 seconds at a time. <laughs> me too, honestly. <laughs> it's it's hard. And I think it kind of goes back to the simple idea of breathing. You know, how many times a day do you think about breathing? Probably not often. You just do it. I think so. about for about 30 to 45 seconds, like seven or eight times a day. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, hey, that's more than some people. I just realized, like, I didn't even think about breathing today. I just did it. And, you know, just bringing it back to the basics and, you know, just taking care of yourself, being easy on yourself, be mm-hmm. kind to yourself, be secure with yourself. I think all of that goes hand in hand. And I think we get distracted by all these outside forces and, you know, social media. And, and I keep bringing that up because it always Pandemics. seems to be around and pandemics and society and, societal expectations and norms that you know you really really got to focus on yourself no matter how scary that can be sometimes because I know it can be scary I've been there you know wanting to delve deep into your emotions and what's causing you to act certain ways and why you're reacting and doing the things that you're doing but you just need to surround yourself with good people and try to make good decisions to get you there so what does that look like for you I mean, obviously, it looks like participation in things like the Spinsters Union. Yeah. And also having big goals like achieving your master's degree and changing the life of hopefully at least one student over at the least. next school year. <laughs> but what else? What other kind of things are you, are you into that, that help you stay centered? I love traveling. Love it. I love discovering new places, new things, meeting new people, music, obviously. Um, I mean, really what drives me and what makes me want to keep moving forward is the change that I want to make in 
the world. And I know that seems like so cheesy and cliche, but, you know, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm passionate about. I know what drives me. And I'm going to keep working towards that till, you know, not here anymore. You're what I would describe as a prime millennial. <laughs> I'm what I would describe as a late millennial. Yeah. Was born right at the very beginning of millennial, but you're mm-hmm. the prime. You're right there in the the heart of it. Yeah, you want to change the world. There's a few things that you just said that I kind of want to pursue. One of them was traveling. Yes, and the other one was music because mm-hmm. I, I like to go both places. Because I'll start with traveling. Okay. The cool thing about traveling is not only is it something that allows you to be more mindful because you get more out of it if you are if you're yeah. paying attention to the experience that you're mm-hmm. having. You get so much out of traveling, mm-hmm. but I also do think it's easier to do when you're in this novel place that's really interesting and exciting to you to really be in the moment. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about traveling is it just expands your experiences. It allows you to be more empathetic. You meet people who before you just thought of as New Yorkers, but now you're like, actually, that's Tony. Oh, I love New York. You know, I love New York City too. So I've got some friends who just moved back from there, and their experience there during COVID was very intense i bet they were locked down like weren't allowed to leave their homes for like weeks oh my god it's crazy but i guess with when it comes to music what do you play any instruments no i mean i think what kind of led me to have that musical ear is you know growing up playing piano um but i stopped in like sixth grade i just i hated being forced i was forced to play my parents were like you're uh. going to piano lessons and i'd be like no and like practicing all the time, I just, I think it would have became more natural if it was something I went out and pursued, whether than, rather than my parents being like, you're going to learn to play piano. Do you think of DJing like playing an instrument? I think it is. It seems like it would be. Yeah, definitely have to have uh, a sense of, you know, being on beat <laughs> and yeah. tempo. So, mm-hmm. um I look at it as more, I, I feel like I'm such a creative person. I think uh look at it more as like creating art. And I know it's another cliche thing to say, but, you know, I love playing music that, and mixing stuff that no one would even think about putting together. Mm-hmm. And blending from one, because you have software that allows you to like change the pitch slowly so that it sounds good. So you can like make the keys match. You can do a, like a nice seamless chord transition and mm-hmm. you can change the tempo to align the BPN so it's like nice and smooth. Yeah. Not as easy as you'd think. Oh, no, I don't think it's easy at <laughs> it all. It doesn't work with everything you <laughs> yeah. think it does. That's what I thought at first. I'm like, oh, I'm going to mix these two songs. And it's like, that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why you feel so passionate about it. That's why you get something out of it. Because mm-hmm. creativity, being able to create. And curate. Is so, it's so important. And it I is. think it has so much to do with education. And I worry. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, I know. I can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> I, I, I'm right there with you, though. But we have so many kids. Like, we, we, we they ask about, uh, or they tell us about project-based learning. We're mm. constantly supposed to be yeah. asking kids to make projects. But if kids don't even have the capacity to create something new, they're not, they just have never seen it done, or they don't yeah. know what it looks like. They Because cr- creating was something that I felt personally like I was not very good at until I was much older. I could copy. I could imitate, but I could not make something novel. That was something I thought a ton about when I was a teacher because I was like, how can I? Some kids can just do it. Mm-hmm. Some kids could just make something that they'd never seen before. And some kids just could not, no matter how hard they tried. 
It just sucks because I feel like it just depends on when you find that niche that you have. Like for me, it's education and I keep bringing it up, but education and music and like that is my creative outlet. Like I will just, I can't tell me how many times I've just been talking with friends. And I'm being like, that's a great idea for a lesson that I could do. And I just love being creative in that way um, and creating events and experiences for people. That is what I'm, you know, into. But you could ask me to do something like you're doing and it, it probably wouldn't work for me. <laughs> so, or, you know, painting something, mm, you know. I, I mean, Yeah. So I think everyone just has to find where they can express their creativity. I think I would define myself as a creative person in general, but you know, you're going to be creative and find your creativity in what you care about and yeah. what's passionate. So I guess the next question, the obvious kind of next question is like what do you feel like is next for you? Hmm. Well, really I'm the biggest planner ever. So COVID has also made that very hard mm-hmm. of not knowing what the future looks like and you know, what the next few weeks, months, you know, next year looks like. So in regards to my bigger plans, I would, I want to move. I've been in Louisville my entire life. I love to travel. So seeing, going to all these other places and just being like, wow, it's so great here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be able to fully immerse myself in an area that is, I guess, more progressive, accepting of the way I think and more opportunities and different people. Um, just to put myself in that place. I'm planning on pursuing a PhD doctoral program, I believe in curriculum design. Not 100% sure yet, but I think that's where I'm more headed towards because you can make a curriculum about anything. So being able to have those credentials, I think will land me in a lot of great opportunities for what I want to do. And you've talked to me before about hip hop pedagogy. Yes. Which is something that I'm familiar with, but most people listening probably are not familiar with it. So yes. you should describe that to them. Um, it's kind of teaching students through youth culture and through hip hop. So I have, and I wish I brought it with me, um, I like teaching through concept maps or mind maps. So I'm really passionate about that because I think it is a low stakes way for children and students to make connections. So If you start up with the idea of hip hop in the middle, okay, hip hop connects to music. Music connects to emotion. Emotion connects to reaction. Okay, let's go back to hip hop. What else can you connect that to? You can connect it to rappers. Then you can connect to their substance abuse. Then you can connect that to mental health. Then you can connect that to, you know, the war on drugs. Like it's just a never ending connection of just everything you can think of that make make sense. So I think hip-hop pedagogy is everything because hip-hop is essentially pop. So I think teaching children by what they're familiar with and what they know and what they see, you know, every day on social media is a way to relate to them because if it doesn't make sense to them, it doesn't, you know, is not in their realm of understanding, like they're going to shut down, they're not going to deem it valuable. So um, it's still something that is, you know, still researched about. There's not a lot of information that I've come across that is more applicable. It's more of a theory. Um, so I'm still looking more into that. That's an opportunity. Yes. Those, if somebody else hasn't done it, that means you can go do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, when I think about hip hop pedagogy, I think about Killer Mike. <laughs> I and, love him. And that Netflix documentary yes, that he did. Yes, I love him. Which was crazy. 
it was just so radically true. Yes. What, so do you remember the name of that? I wish I could remember the name uh, of it. Trigger Warning? Was it Trigger Warning? I think so. And he talked about like, he talked about teaching with porn. Yes, I saw that episode. Which was a pretty crazy <laughs> thing to say. Crazy. But makes sense. I mean, like, goodness gracious, if I had a dollar for how many times I felt like I was teaching about quadratics, but all the young boys who were staring at their phones were looking at like boobs. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was frustrating, but it's definitely true. And I think making dramatic and radical statements and at least, if nothing else, just having dramatic and radical thoughts mm-hmm. and allowing people to have those thoughts. Yep. It's really important. And I, I'm glad that there are people like yourself and like Killer Mike who are out there pursuing those things. I just got compared to Killer Mike. Good for you. I'm really happy about I love Killer Mike. I love the conversations that he's able to have. I love that he's progressive, but he'll go and talk to a conservative person and Mm -hmm. he'll be able to find a common ground. Yes. And so, you know, we could continue talking about this forever. We could. And I think, honestly, we need to encourage people to continue talking about all of these things that we've only really just touched on. Can go way deeper. We could. It, it, It definitely can go way deeper. And honestly, people who are capable of talking about those things have to. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you're p- passionate about trying to create more people with those tools and those capabilities, more, people? more yeah, well, well uh, you, by not necessarily make more people, <laughs> okay, but you're trying to help, yes, help make I more see. people. With, I don't want to create, <laughs> right? Not right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm just so grateful that we have people like you who are in the classroom, who have that mindset, who have that passion, have that focus, and I just would encourage everybody out there to just like seek out that personal growth and to continue to seek out that self-actualization. Definitely. Yeah. I think it comes to people at different times. And I think we're all, you know, we're not on the same journey. Everyone's on their own journey and they all experience things at different times. And you may think it's, when is it going to happen to me? But it just does when you least expect it. I think all we as humans can do is do what's best for ourselves and those that we love around us. That's a great place to stop. I think it's wonderful. Roy, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sorry I mispronounced your last name. (laughs) It's all good. And I would love to create an opportunity for us to have conversations like this again in the future. Maybe we can include other people. As you see, I have other mics. But until then, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bye. Goodbye. Boom, there it is, ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Roya. I had a blast. I love talking about teaching. I'm passionate about educating young people. I think it's one of the most important things that we can do if we want to see our world improve is to create more opportunities for young people to have success and to learn about themselves and grow. And I'm so grateful to have cool people like Roya in the classroom doing that hard work. Guys, if you know a teacher, reach out to them, show them some love. They're struggling right now, deep in NTI. And with all the things going on in their lives, in the lives of their students, I know they could use your support. As always, if you're listening on Apple iTunes or any place really that you can rate the show or comment or leave a review, please do that. That would be really cool. I would appreciate it so much. And like I said earlier, if you say something really interesting or really cool or clever or just particularly flattering about me, Who knows? Maybe I'll reach out and ask you about putting that review and a picture of you on the website, guys. Who out there wants the honor? 
Tim, Tim, I know you listen to me, bro. Write me an awesome review. I'll put you on the website, your face, your beautiful, smiling face on the website. And if you're like, what website are you even talking about, Mitch? I haven't even seen a website. You need to head over to JustFriendsPod.com and check it out. You can listen to the most recent episodes of the show. You can listen to old episodes of the show. You can check out our awesome merchandise. You can learn more about how this came to be, this whole podcast thing even started. You can learn the name of the studio. It has a name. And you can also find links to the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcast where you can become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month. You can keep me making podcasts. It's my dream to do this for a living, but right now I would really like to just break even. That would be super cool to just, you know, not be spending money. Would be rad. And you can help make that dream come true. And full disclosure, guys, I just bought those webcams I've been promising you forever, so I just got to figure out how to make them work. And who knows, maybe we'll even have a video aspect soon. The growth is continuing, and it's because of those awesome people who love us and show their support through Patreon. So check it out, justfriendspod.com, or links straight to that page. You can become a patron, and I will love you forever. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. It was a blast to get to hang out. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Roya. If you've got kids, I'm sure you're interested in how their teachers are feeling and what they're thinking. And Roya is a great representation of some of the awesome people we have in the classroom right now. Tune in next week for another great episode. Guys, we got a repeat. I'm not even going to tell you who it is, but I am in love with this conversation. Because I'm in love with the person whom I had it with. So, so hint, hint, they will be returning our very first ever returning individual podcast. So look out for that next Sunday. It's going to be great. Until then, I hope you have a fantastic week. I love you all. Take care of yourselves. Bye.